Well, what a, what a moment of celebration for this church. It's a celebration, really, of what God is doing, what God is orchestrating, and this partnership that we had. I, I heard it in Russell's prayer this morning of the, the good works that God has prepared for us. Uh, we see this. We are witnesses to this this morning of Justin and Jill and uh, the, the Dye family. They, had, they did have a plan, and it was to follow God's lead. And let me tell you, there has been a, an inspiration that has come back to this church. Our, our ears have been opened. Our eyes have been opened more and more to the working of the Spirit and how the Spirit is moving among us and what God is calling us to here in our own backyard. And it is a privilege to join in with what God is doing. And so we thank you again for uh, you answering the call. And we look forward to hearing about the new mission that God has given to your family. This morning in this sermon, uh, we're going to turn our attention to a partnership in the, the mission field in Scripture. Uh, one of the great duos in Scripture, Paul and Barnabas. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 15, we've been working through this series called Can't Live Without Them. We've been looking at different relationships that God has sent to us, that, that God sends to us at just the right time uh, for us to answer that call and become the people that we are called to be. And so thus far, we've looked at a few names. We've looked at Nathan, the truth teller. We've looked at Jonathan, the true friend. We've looked at Mordecai, the the challenger. And then last week, Stan talked about Timothy, our protege. We, we need a protege. We need to pour ourselves into someone who is coming up behind us. Next week, we're going to look at the role of the teacher. So who is your Paul next week? Uh, but for this week, we're going to look at his partner, Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas is an encourager. But before we get to our sermon passage in Acts chapter 15, uh, let's hear how Barnabas is introduced in chapter 4, beginning in verse 34. We're going to be in different places in the book of Acts this morning. This is what the scripture says about Barnabas, Acts 4 verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold to them... Brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. A description, a summary description of the early church. Verse 36 Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Son of encouragement. That's quite a nickname. But it's a nickname by God's grace that Barnabas lived up to in the book of Acts, at least up to the first 15 chapters. He, he really disappears after the first 15 chapters. But Paul was on the receiving end of this encouragement by Barnabas. Paul had quite the conversion story himself. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, being a zealous Pharisee, really believed that Christianity was a, a, a heresy among the Jews. And so he hunted them down. He hunted these Christians down. He rounded them up. Uh, the people whom 
Luke calls people who belong to the way. And then Paul has this famous encounter on the Damascus Road. He encounters the risen Lord. He is given a mission by God himself to go and proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. But we can understand why the early church would be hesitant to bring Paul into the fold, this killer, uh, this man who probably was responsible for the deaths of their family members and their friends. But it was the son of encouragement who brought Paul back into the fold. It was Barnabas who served as a bridge to that early church. It was Barnabas who walked alongside Paul and helped him in that first missionary journey. It was Barnabas who stood by Paul at that great Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 when they proclaimed that God's mission is not just to the nations, but to the nation of Israel. Which brings us to our sermon text this morning, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Let's hear the word of God. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, who happens to be his cousin. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. Part of the human experience is dealing with failure. I think all of us have had, had moments in our lives when we failed. We failed to be a friend. Uh, we failed to take action when we should have. There are moments in life that haunt us. Uh, maybe even they serve as a source of embarrassment for us when we look back. We don't like to look back at these particular moments in our lives, but we all have them. I have plenty of them. I've had moments when I failed to be a friend, uh, when I failed to be there, to be present, to be, take action when I should have. I have moments in preaching that I wish I could take back, uh, like the time when I preached on Ananias and Sapphira on Mother's Day. I could have planned that better. There was one moment, though, that happened particularly early in my preaching. I had just transitioned into the pulpit full-time. Some of you might remember this. I clung on to it probably longer than anyone else. But it happened on a Sunday when I was preaching on the parable of the prodigal son uh, from Luke chapter 15, and I had one of those moments. I had one of those nightmare moments in public speaking. I lost my place in my notes. But not only did I lose my place in my notes, I lost my train of thought. And so really I had this just blank space to draw from and I just froze. For 15 to 20 seconds, I just stood there looking at you and you were looking at me and I had nothing to say. 
that was a source of embarrassment as I tried to transition from a place where it was really blank and try to get back into the sermon. After that sermon, I just wanted to crawl under a pew and hide. Uh, that's what failure will do. Now, God put the pieces together there. I'm confident. But that's what failure will do to you. I do wonder if John Mark had similar feelings when he left Paul and Barnabas high and dry on that first missionary journey. Uh, John Mark was part of the team. It was God arranging the pieces there. Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail as to why John Mark left. It's very matter of fact in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Luke just tells us, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And apparently this didn't sit well with Paul. Uh, This is reflected in in the different translations of our sermon passage, Acts chapter 15, verse 38. In the ESV, it says that John had withdrawn, a kind of passive tone there. But there are other translations that use stronger language, like John deserted them. John abandoned them. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for this. We could speculate. We do know that already the mission had met some opposition. There is always heat at that intersection between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. But just before the fire really began on the outskirts of Asia Minor, when Paul and Barnabas would pay a very heavy price for their proclamation, John Mark wasn't there. John was gone. And I wonder if John Mark, lying in the comfort of his bed back in Jerusalem, was experiencing moments of shame. Shame for failure. The failure to be there and see the mission through. The failure to stand by his friends whenever they needed him most. You know, shame is a very powerful weapon. It's a powerful weapon of the evil one. That is what the evil one does. Uh, The Satan is really the accuser. That is the job. That is the role of Satan. He is a prosecuting attorney. Uh, John of Patmos tells us this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that the accuser accuses our brothers and sisters night and day before our God. Satan weaponizes shame. That's his task, to keep those failures fresh in our minds. And this morning, if you are haunted by the sins of the past, please know that shame is the devil's workshop for weighing us down, bringing that guilt before us. Now, guilt can be a good thing. Guilt can lead us into that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But there's also that shame and that guilt that keeps us from taking one step forward. It holds us down. It holds us in a perpetual prison. And every one of us has a moment of failure, moments of failure. One thing I love about Scripture, though, is that failure is not hidden. Uh, The flaws of some of the great heroes of faith are there in Scripture. We think about Moses and David and uh, going to Samson and some of the judges, going to the New Testament, Peter and the disciples, and even Paul himself. All of them stumbled mightily in being God's servant. 
And when we think about failing as the people of God, when we fail, when we fall on our face, the last thing we need is an accuser. Peter, when he disowns the Lord and he goes and weeps bitterly, the last thing he needed in that moment was an accuser. What he needed was someone to lift him up. What he needed was someone to mend his wounds. What we all need in those moments of failure is a Barnabas. We don't know what John Mark did or why he left. We do know that Paul felt abandoned in that missionary journey. And so when Paul tells Barnabas, let's go and check up on these churches. Let's see how they're doing. Paul is not wrong to not want to take John Mark. I mean, Paul and Barnabas had a front row seat as to what awaited them. Uh, last week, Stan talked about that. How Paul, I think Paul was actually stoned to death there in Lystra. Uh, but he experienced a miraculous bringing back to life. God brought him back to life. That's my reading of that situation. But Paul and Barnabas knew that they were about to enter into the fires of persecution. It's understandable why Paul would want someone who would be there in the trenches with them. It's understandable why Paul would want to take someone who wouldn't fold under the pressure. It's understandable why Paul does not want John Mark anywhere near them on this missionary journey. But Paul's partner did not think the same way. Paul should have known this about Barnabas. That Barnabas is a guy who is willing to give someone a second chance. Maybe it was because John Mark is family. But really, this falls within Barnabas' character. Paul should know this. It was Paul, after all, who reached out a loving hand, or Barnabas who reached out a loving hand to Paul and gave him a second chance after his life of persecution. Why would Paul be surprised that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, would want to give a second chance to his cousin, John Mark? John Mark had a moment of failure. But John Mark also had someone who lifted him up. John Mark had someone who helped set his life on a new trajectory. And what we discover further on down the line in Scripture is that John Mark's story was not over. John Mark's story was a story of redemption. Eventually, he became a renewed partner for Paul. He became an indispensable partner for Paul. At the end of Paul's life, in that beautiful letter of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul sees the end coming near, Paul is about to be executed. Paul has run the good race. His time is short. He gives these instructions to Timothy. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Bring Mark with you. Yes, John Mark had become an indispensable partner for Paul. When most of the people had abandoned Paul there at the end of his life, John Mark was there. And I can't help but think that it was the actions of Barnabas years before that made this possible with God's help. The son of encouragement who wouldn't leave John Mark stranded even after John Mark had stranded them. Barnabas helped 
John Mark become the person that God had called him to be. And that really is what the church is all about. So who is your Barnabas? Who is God calling you this week to be a Barnabas to in this congregation? I've had so many Barnabases here. I had several Barnabases come to me that Sunday when I had a moment of failure. Uh, Roger was very helpful to me and giving me a good perspective on it. He even helped me laugh about it, knowing that that wouldn't be the last gaffe from the pulpit. He was right. But one person that I remember in particular was our late brother, Steve Hamm. I wanted to run out of that building. But before I ran out of that building, Steve ran up to me. And Steve did something for me that I will never forget. Right after the service, he rushed to me and he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, Great job. Great sermon. And then he took a line from the sermon and he engaged with me on that line and that thought from the sermon. And he didn't mention anything about that blunder. He knew that I was dwelling on it. But he also knew that I needed a word of encouragement. And it was even an unspoken word. When he put his hand on my shoulder, he said, It's going to be okay. Get back up there next week. Keep going. God sent me a Barnabas in that moment. I'll never forget that. I won't forget the other Barnabases who have come to me when I've stumbled here. And I love that image. I love that story because it reminds me what's at the core of the gospel. That the gospel is a story of redemption. We serve a redeeming God. We serve a God who rushes to us. God knows our failures better than we do. We're self-deceived. And yet God reaches out to us in the midst of our failures. And God sends us people at just the right time to speak words of encouragement to us. Sometimes we need a Nathan. We need a straight shooter. Sometimes we need a Mordecai. Someone who will say, get moving. But make no mistake about it. Sometimes... Maybe even more often than not, we need an encourager. We need someone to say, keep going. You can do it. Keep going. Who's your Barnabas? Who do you need to be a Barnabas to this week? Maybe you come here this morning and you need some lifting up and you've had some opportunity already to hear some encouragement uh, from the stories that were shared earlier in the service. But maybe the evil one is uh, really batting you down, bringing up your shame and failures of the past. You have the opportunity to come forward this morning 
come to the only one who can bear those burdens, the one whose yoke is easy, his burden is light, the one who's meek and lowly in heart. And as you come forward, his body, the body of Christ, will surround you because we've all been there. We've all experienced moments of failure and shame. Let God do the healing this morning. Let's respond to the good news of Jesus as we stand and as we sing.